Rethink Aging, conversations about life, planning, and growing older. I'm your host, Elaine, and with me is my co-host, Robert. Well, hello there. Hello. So what are we talking about today? Digital assets. Ooh. Let's plan for them. Right on. So what are digital assets to you? To me, digital assets are things like your social media accounts, email, um, banking, all of your documents, photos, that kind of thing. Gotcha. Because to me, I, I immediately think of like cryptocurrency or NFTs and stuff like that. I would also agree with that. They don't jump out at me though. Yeah, I suppose. I don't like, think about that. Like we are really at the kind of the outset of those things becoming part of our popular culture. You know, we've definitely had like Bitcoin and stuff around for a while, but I think we're going to see a big transformation in the way NFTs are used to manage digital assets, you know, as far as like licenses for things or content that you might buy digitally. So when I think about digital assets, I have to think about them. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> what I mean by that is, Digital assets are like sitting in a computer. They're not like a book on a table where I'm seeing it and thinking about what to do with it. Yeah, and it's usually something that is stored somewhere, like maybe it's on the cloud or it's on your computer, and it might have a password that controls access to it. Many years ago, when you were working on somebody's estate, somebody dies, that isn't something that you had to think about, right? You, you look around and these are the objects I'm dealing with. Right. Or you might have to, yeah, their money or they're getting access to their bank account for them or working with the house that they own or a car. But it's tangible things that you're looking around at and right. thinking about. Digital assets are different. Let's talk about how they're different. I think there's a lot of considerations that have to be added to your plan to manage digital assets. Like we've all got an understanding of like what a will is or a trust is and like what breadcrumbs you leave for someone so that they can manage those things. But what else do we have to do for digital assets? Personally, I think the first thing that you need to do is include something in your will or some kind of document that gives somebody the access, gives somebody the right to access your accounts. That makes sense. And you know, I guess before we spiral too far off into this, I just want to talk about the differences when you're managing someone's account, when you're like their personal representative and they have passed away. There are means to go get at their bank account and manage something about that. Like you can go to the bank with like a death certificate and the the papers that show you are the appropriate representative, right? Correct. But there are also online accounts these days for practically everything. And the value of some of those online accounts, like for banking, for example, is that you can access that online account and get an idea of where this person was like in the flow of day-to-day payments and receiving, you know, for money. Like it's it's not the easiest thing to understand, like what bills are coming in. Like I remember with my grandma, we just pretty much had to go get the mail at her house for a couple of months to figure out what 
what was happening there? Because you're stepping into somebody's life right. that you haven't been privy to before. But if you can go get into their online account, you can access those histories and see what sort of things happen month to month. What bills are set up for auto pay. Right. Yeah. When when you are stepping into somebody's life, it can be very disorienting at first. There's so many things to take care of. And if you're leaving somebody the way in to see your online accounts, it can help them gather that information faster. Right, like to see the history up to now, right? Right. Is your electric bill writing a check or is it auto-withdrawing? That kind of thing. Yeah. Because there are probably a lot of other accounts that you need to just go close, which ones need to stay open, which things are going to move to the new trust checking account because you can't quite turn that um, electric bill off yet. That kind of thing. Yeah, that makes sense too. And it it just kind of flashes into my head the sheer number of payment kinds of things that have cropped up, like where we're all using these different kinds of subscription services, like maybe a streaming service or some kind of auto shopping thing on Amazon, you know, send me my vitamins every month or something. Right. And those histories would allow us to get a a better picture of that. Log into my Amazon. If I'm gone, log into my Amazon account and make sure nothing is happening. Right. Before like a big crate of walnuts or whatever shows up, right? I, <clears throat> I don't know where I got walnuts from. <laughs> peanuts. Yes. Do you have those peanuts on a subscription? No, I, I do eat a lot of salted peanuts, but I order them individually each time for some reason. I guess it's because I don't want to save 5% every month. You know, I've never actually set up one of those um, monthly Amazon things either because I want to be in control of when it's coming. Yeah, no kidding. Like, how am I going to know if like three months from now I'm still going to eat those? I don't know. I do. You will. Probably. (laughs) They're good though. They are. Welcome to Peanut Talk. Okay, let's move on. One of the digital assets that a lot of us have are social media accounts. Oh, yeah. So your Instagram account or your Facebook account. What happens to those when you're gone or can't manage them? What do you want to have happen? And I mean, there's definitely a world of possibilities there. You can just abandon the accounts in place. Um, Some people like to have like a memorial Like I've seen a lot of people who have had their accounts turn into like memorials for them, like somebody that they designated after they were gone goes in and manages that account in a way that memorializes them. I think it's a nice place where people can come and write nice things about you after you're dead, (laughs) hopefully nice things. Yeah, you know, and sometimes like in the past, I, I think... That was largely the function of these websites for funeral homes. But in my personal experience, I've seen more of that happening or more effectively happening on social media accounts like that. I see a lot less comments on the funeral home type 
memorials. Yeah, because really, I guess the reason is that those funeral home sites aren't somewhere that you frequent. You're not you're not stopping back in there to see what else has happened after you've left your comment. Where on a social media site, you're only a click away from checking in on that departed person's you know That's media a good thought, account. Yeah. So we've covered just the the top level stuff here, just like your banking stuff and your social media. But I think as an IT person, I'm also really interested in the digital media that you create on your own computer. We've all got photos on our phone. We've all got photos on our computer. I'm making documents all the time on my computer that I'm going to leave behind, you know, when, when I die. So who is going to manage those and what do they need to do to manage them effectively? How do you leave breadcrumbs for somebody to not have to go through gigs of data? Right. I mean, just talking about data size and data growth, as technology has improved, like you and I first got involved in like digital photography and computers when the data was quite small, you know, using those like potato cameras that made the one megapixel photo that was all crunchy and looks terrible by today's standards. But like the phone I have, like when I shoot video, it's in 4K. You know, those files are gigantic. And I I manage a server at our house because we have a business. And I think our server has like five terabytes of data on it. And I've really had to make some strides to make that data easy to reference. Like you and I are always organizing our data and making sure it's, you know, we both understand where things are and why they are there. But that's great for us. But our kids are going to have to look at that data in the future and be able to pick it apart and find what is valuable for them. It's really easy to leave a digital mess. Yeah. Right? Even if it's organized, if you are leaving like millions of files, it doesn't show up in your house, right? You look at your house and you say, there's like some books. Yeah. These are just some files. I will keep them all because it's just some data on a computer. And now you are leaving a digital mess. That's true. And, you know, in some of the businesses that we've had as clients or at previous jobs that we've both had, they have implemented these uh, means of deleting older files. Like, what do we call it? Records retention where they auto-delete like something that's older than five or seven years or whatever. But like on our server, I never do that. Like we have data going all the way back to the beginning of time. You know, history of forever. Incredibly old files that, I don't know, you know, some digital media is really nostalgic. Like you want to play that cool game from 1988. I do at least. Or you might have all of the photos that we took with those like flip phones and stuff, you know, way back when. And and they look awful, but when you look through that lens, you can kind of be transported to that moment. You know, that's like the purpose of photography and capturing memories that way. So we've talked about photos taking, or a lot of photos. Yeah. However, there's an upside to having all of the photos digital, and that is 
this kid wants that photo, this kid wants that photo. Oh, it no used doubt. to be you'd have to give it to that one person, but now everybody could have a copy of your photos. Right. And I mean, for our younger listeners, we used to take photos with film cameras and you would take them over to be developed. And one of the questions they would ask you is, do you want double prints? And if Of course you, you did. Yeah. And then you would get two of every photo. And most of us had like someone in our life who those second photos would go to. It was also cheaper to get the second set right away. Compared to getting it shot like after the fact. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that was a real pain. And then you had to like keep the negatives. and I've got a notebook of negatives that are pretty obsolete now. Yeah, so, okay, reminiscing mode over. <laughs> Nowadays, it's so easy to take so many photos that there's kind of a new problem where you've got such a mass of data that sometimes it can be difficult to organize it or to search it effectively. And... When we think about leaving digital assets like to our kids or whoever, they, you know, in a way they want to have access to that stuff, but they want to do it in a way that doesn't clutter up their existing life. Like in the way that when you in the past would help someone with their physical assets, you know, their home and their furniture and their stuff you can get into a situation where like all of a sudden you've got a bunch of that person's stuff in your home and you you have to deal with that before all of a sudden it becomes overwhelming. And there's probably, I mean, I guess that's what we're talking about here. There's probably some things you can do to ease that transition, you know, and, and it might be as simple as telling that person like, hey, I have a ton of files and stuff stored take what you want out of it and and don't worry about like archiving this stuff forever. What that brings to mind is photographs. In the past, when you would split up photographs among the kids, there'd be one copy of a photo. (laughs) Yeah. And you'd have to pick who got that photo or you'd have to go make a bunch of copies. Right, like there's this one photo of my mom that was hanging on the wall at my grandma's house and it has become like a point of contention of who has that actual (laughs) framed photo because there's one. Right, and digital life, digital photos lend itself to everybody being able to have a copy of those photos. So in some ways, digital assets help the splitting up of photographs or other things when you think about the dishes, that's an object, and they go to one person or they get split up. But yeah. photographs can go to everybody Yeah. now. No matter what kind of digital asset we're talking about, we know that it's going to have some kind of authentication. And by that, I mean a password of some kind. And, and that might be the password to get onto your computer or to get into your phone or to get into your online bank account or other online accounts. And it's really important to have a good way to manage your passwords. And we use a password program that allows us to simply remember a single password that then opens up an interface that allows us to create complex passwords and assign and fill them in 
on all kinds of different sites. And that has been really effective for both of us. And I think we've done a pretty good job of getting our family into that same mindset because nobody wants to like get your information hacked or stolen. And really the best way around that is to have effective passwords. But how do you pass those passwords along? You have to leave the master password somewhere that your designated person can find it if you're unwilling to let them know up front what the password is. Right. You alluded to this, but it is it also a, a password program like this also really helps you manage your passwords while you're alive. We all have, I, I have over 300 passwords and right. they're all categorized. And I hope I've left it all in such an organized manner yeah, within I'm, that password program that somebody could find what it is they need to find. For sure. I don't know of anyone anymore who is like storing their passwords in a notebook or on a piece of paper in a drawer. You might be surprised. I, I suppose so, but... Or uses the same password on every ugh, account. Yeah. Don't do that. Yeah, never do that. I mean, there are so many good password programs out there. And I'm guessing that some of them probably have a way. You know, in fact, I'm thinking of this now. The password program that we use actually allows you to generate like a physical sheet of paper that you can leave in your safety deposit box that has like a master backdoor to the whole password thing. So that's probably, you know, our way of managing that. I think another thing to think about putting in those password programs are things that you don't necessarily use that program for, but that information you want to leave. Oh, sure. For instance, like what is the passcode into your phone? That doesn't get accessed by that password program, but you've got it there in case you have forgotten or in case somebody else needs to access your phone because many of these accounts have two two-factor authentication and we'll need that phone right, or that phone number. Yeah. And, you know, within 1Password, for example, that we use, it has the ability to like leave notes and other kinds of logins or information in there that are effective. I mean, one that jumps to mind is sometimes you'll go on a website and it asks you to come up with these security questions. And what I've personally grown into a habit of is creating like imaginary questions to be asked, you know, things that don't necessarily apply as facts to my life. But, you know, over the years, there's been so many scams where people try to find out what street you grew up on or what your first dog was named that your I don't... mother's maiden name. Right. I don't really consider those to be an effective kind of security question anymore. So I try to come up with my own answers to those and I will put those into the password program as like additional pieces of information. Like here's what I told this website my dog's name was or right. whatever. Right. You know, because I'm just trying to get the most out of the security features here without giving away a bunch of my personal information all the time. And of course, we know that like things like device logins, like for your phone, I mean, they're still important to capture, even though we all have phones that either read your fingerprint or, 
they read your face, you know, because somebody could, I suppose, grab your phone after you've passed away and hold it up to your dead face and get logged <laughs> into it, right? So That one time. Yeah, so you want to make sure that you're storing this stuff so that nobody has to go and do that. Yikes. <laughs> when we talk about digital assets, I also think about um, the digital music that we have and my Kindle books. I try and buy most of my books on Kindle so that we don't have an object sitting around. Right. What happens to those when I'm dead? Yeah, and you know, I guess a, a tricky part of that might be the fact that we have like a like a sharing plan, like we use the Apple family plan and we've got other relatives who are on it. But like if something happens to us, like what happens to that plan? Like now I'm going to have to go look into this to see if it like, does it fall over to someone else, you know, who is still here? Can they manage it? Can we make someone else the primary person? Because, you know, they've all got their stuff wrapped up in this. I'm pretty sure if you leave the family plan, you get to keep whatever you've downloaded, but that's a good plan. Like what about the movies that you have downloaded or paid for or put under your account? I don't know. Yeah. And you know, this is a good example of how things continue to change over time. Because when you brought up digital music, the first thing that flashed into my head was like back in the 1990s, does anyone remember Napster? There was like this way that you could rip CDs. Remember CDs? You could rip CDs and share those music files with each other. Remember MP3s? Yeah. Or you would, you could download them illegally with Napster. And we all ended up, and by we all, I mean people who were very technical at the time, who were calling up on like a modem and stuff, you know, would download digital files of songs and it might take like an hour to download this one song, but it was so groundbreaking at the time that we would end up with these huge collections of files. And I still have these files, like despite the fact that I can stream them now and they're much higher quality, I've still got all these, you know, that's like my digital clutter. I do too, because there they are and they were... Part of my history, yeah. right? Yeah. And, you know, actually I have a lot of uh, scans of like old magazines, like computer magazines from the 70s and 80s. So I guess there's a lot of kinds of like digital media or digital clutter, digital assets. The Kindle books, what happens to those? And now I know I, I have like one answer because my dad had a Kindle that I had given him. And there was one book on it. And I still have that Kindle. So I have his book. And I keep it as more of a sentimental thing. But I suppose whoever ends up with my iPad would have access to all of those books. But I don't know what the legality of... I don't think I own those books. I think I'm renting them, right? Or... Maybe. I'm not sure. I guess we're going to see a digital version of, you know, what happened with... Like with your book example... I've gotten a lot of books left to me from relatives and you end up going through this process. Like you start out with like every book that they had and you bring them into your home and you're like, these are grandma's books. And the longer you sit with them and have them cluttering up your house, you're like, you know what? 
I'm looking at like at least half of these that I will never ever read and no one downstream for me is ever going to want. So I'm going to take these to Goodwill. And now you start whittling down these collections until you've got like just these few core items that, you know, they, they are either interesting to you or they help you remember or memorialize the person. And I guess we'll see a, a version of that or our kids or future people will see a digital version of that, right? But it's different because it's some text on a screen. <laughs> it isn't like yeah. a bunch of books. It's not objects. That's true. And the data size, you know, that that is such a good point too. Like when we talk about like our data from the 90s or whatever, it's so small compared to the total scale of data and storage that we have now that there's no like reason, quote unquote, to like have to delete any of it because we have so much storage now and storage is so incredibly cheap. What I really want to know is who is going to take care of my Animal Crossing right. island when I'm dead. Who's going to pick all the weeds? <laughs> but you know, I think we'll probably get into that in our next episode, which is going to be about video gaming um, and the video games that played by older people here in 2022. Nice. Oh, so what did we cover here? You know, we, we talked about what digital assets are and some of the ways that we can manage them. And we also kind of bumped into like digital clutter. I'm off to go delete a bunch of old emails. What are you guys doing about your digital assets? Let us know. You can email us at rethinkagingofficial at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at Rethink Aging. Thanks for listening.